0: This is Bec Goddard, AFLW coach of the Adelaide Crows. I listen to the Out of Sanctum because hearing a group of women talk about footy with their own diverse backgrounds makes my heart beat faster than it did in the last 30 seconds of the inaugural AFLW Grand Final, and that was fast. Good plan, good plan. Who
1: thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast.
2: Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. team for the side.
3: She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow! The fakes, the gods are with the dogs. Who's ready to get their melee on? Melon. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. <laughs> oh, welcome to the outer sanctum for another week. I'm Emma Rayz, and joined as always by this bunch of. I don't even know what to call you, you cheeky little ladybirds this morning. How are you, Felicity? I am good, thank you. Nice to be here. How are you, Miss Alita? Pumped. (laughs) How are you, Madame Lulu?
3: Cheeky. Ready to go. Mm
2: -hmm. And how are you, Nicole Hayes? I'm well.
4: Thank you for asking.
2: We've got an apology today from one (laughs) Dr. Kate Sia who wants you to believe that she's been flown over to Roland Garros to be by the side of Andy Murray. In reality, Sir Andy Murray. Sir Andy Murray. In reality, she's probably just snuggered up on the couch with her dog Cyril in her onesie <laughs> watching reruns of Days of Our Lives or something.
0: Do people wear onesies? She wears a onesie. Totally. No. How do
2: you go to the toilet? It's a very good question.
0: You got to get naked.
2: We'll put that on an Insta story later. Hey, um, we're almost at the halfway mark of this season. I always find these rounds, like the next six rounds, I find it it's the depths of winter. It's like the hardest time of the season to stay motivated and excited. And that's just as a fan, so I don't know how the players <laughs> are feeling. That. But I always come back to that. You know that that saying where they go, um, "Summer bodies are made in winter." Mm. Like whatever happens over the next six to eight weeks, it really can affect the latter and it can affect what you're doing in September. So I just want to shout out to everyone, don't think that we're not watching you. We're watching. <laughs> I, I Make would, it count. Exactly. I
5: would also like to say it's possibly going to be a season in two halves. <laughs> and Do you think? <laughs> Which half is this? I'm hoping <laughs> that we've just come through the depths of despair and we're coming out the other end. But no, I often think about that too, like how... I mean, it's going to be freezing down here in Melbourne. Um, for y- people who are lucky enough to ha- have clubs that they follow in warmer climates, we would love to come and visit. feeling for Gold Coast having to come to Melbourne this weekend. I'm not. Surely that's got to go our way. <laughs> mm. That'd be right. Surely summer summer is something has coming. Coming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's
4: really for the dedicated fan, though, this time of year, isn't it? I mean, if you're, especially some of these games, it might be a little... One-sided. But it's also the start of all that sort of posturing of
5: who can still make the finals and who's a theoretical chance. And, you know, they they often say that if you get 12 wins plus a decent percentage, you would generally make finals. And um, I'm not smart enough to work out that if the people on the bottom of the ladder win everything, (laughs) are there enough opportunities for the people at the top not to play each other enough that someone has to win that I'm pretty sure that I think if you're bottom four or five, you're you're done for at this point. There's there's a rude word for that. Mathematical possibility. Yeah, that's it. I can confirm,
2: what I can confirm about your statement then is that you know you're not smart enough. Correct. (laughs) But the Pons
4: Institute is, they can probably get back to us on that. Speaking of that, looking at that ladder with half of the teams that have played 11 and half that have played 10, it is, you need a slide rule and a scientific Mm. calculator to work out who can make it. But as it stands right now, I think there's two games separating fifth from 15th. So how's that for a spread? It's wow. amazing, isn't yeah. But it? plus that that weird one that some players some teams haven't played, which is complicated. I thought you were going to say plus that weird thing called percentage, <laughs> no, which is pretty not, dreadful for some of the too.
2: teams. It's a scary count. Um, how do you feel about jumper punching? That's been in the news this week. It, the match review panel have taking a look at what happened with Tom Hawkins. Well, Tom
3: Hawkins is going to have a rest after the bye, so he'll have two weeks off. And I have thought it was really interesting listening to the discourse around that. There's been a lot of chat about if, you know, the Brownlow will be compromised this year and, you know, we're changing rules and so, you know, Trent Cotchin didn't get suspended earlier in the year for a similar jumper punch. But I just kind of thought we all heard the memo. Like, mm-hmm. Surely when they say if you jump a punch, you're going to go. Yeah, you don't get up in someone's grill like no. that. No,
4: But apparently there's the, the grill is sacrosanct. <laughs> the grill. Well, it's It's about the grill. It's the difference apparently between the chest so, um, mm. jumper punch and the head high well, one. Chris Scott, I heard Chris Scott key. say,
3: oh, it wasn't really a punch to the head, it was more a push to the throat. And <laughs> Well, that's okay like, then. Yeah. Come on. I'm,
5: I'm, I'm going to say still a... above the shoulder. What's wrong with a good shove to the throat? That's never harmed anybody.
2: I mean, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> no one's injured their larynx. No. Okay. It is an issue, isn't it, though? Like, I, I often wonder with the jumper punch. The jumpers are so tight. It's really hard to get a <laughs> grip on the jumper. Do you think you they know? should
4: get extra points or something? No, I think that
2: it shows intention. Like it oh. showed, like I think that the MAP, you don't just that. grab you a c-
3: handful of
5: jumper accidentally. No, no. it's really difficult yeah. to
2: grab a handful well, of and jumper. The,
5: and that is the point of the way the jumpers are designed now. That, you, you know, they're designed <laughs> so that you can't grab people from behind. Or Lower
2: necklines.
4: No jumper <laughs> punching. Mm. Oh, look at you. Oh. So they should redesign the jumper yeah. to avoid the punch.
2: Maybe that's why they don't wear skivvies. Have too, too close that's to the head. Really exactly.
0: Have they made it? tighter shorts <laughs> so you can't dack them? Because there's no dacking at the moment. I haven't seen oh, a dacking
3: in a while. Decking. When it's, was there a good dack? Oh, there was one, I think, two it was the weeks, the AFL weeks w ago. Though, you know when you see them like with Trying their skins? Trying to get back up and their shorts around their knees and You're running like
4: a penguin. You're not looking closely enough, Alicia. But I mean a real good dack.
2: <laughs>
3: okay, like, if
4: you've seen yeah. a
2: good dacking, send it to Alicia yep. just to satisfy <laughs> that. Um, I always find it interesting when their shoes come off and you go, "All yeah. footballers have got feet. I quite like that. My kids love it when they see a shoe on a ground. <laughs> Did you know on the ground? I think that they had feet. Just kicking boots,
4: just uh, born with boots attached, I maybe like uh, that. Like Thor- Thorpey's fins for his feet. I always find the that when slippers. you know
5: when the shoe comes off and you've got that white base of a foot, it reminds me of when a tennis player takes their shoes socks off and they've got those like white ankles that have never seen sun in their life. <laughs> mm, like golfing those, ankles. Oh, yeah. terrible. It's it's actually really fascinating when you see like tennis players going to the like the Australian Open ball or something afterwards, and <laughs> you see the tan marks are terrible. Like, Sports
2: people in formal gear as well. Oh, and makeup—it's it's weird, problematic. Mm. Hey, um, Cricket Australia has done something this week that really feeds into. I mean, we've been pushing AFLM and AFLW, and to be honest, I think it's taken off. Like it's a, gone it's off, massive. Totally. Like they're just trying to find room for an M to stick on the end of all the you know other merch. So cricket Australia has adopted a new naming convention where they will actually have a name for the men's and a name for the women's. So is this going to be a push? Is this something that we can see as a, a as a positive? So they're now going to call it the Australian
5: Men's, men's Cricket Team yep. and yep. the Australian Women's Cricket Team. Yep.
2: Yep. Sounds yep.
0: normal. It sounds, sounds very binary so though. Very
4: normal. Oh yeah, that's a do good point. Do we have an point. issue with that? Mm. At the <laughs> moment, I think we have to just let it sit for a minute. Yep. But okay. there will be issues.
2: Yeah, there will be issues. Hey, um off the back of that, I do actually want to talk about I have an apology for last week. We were talking about Margaret Court. And last week when we were talking about Margaret Court, I used the word lifestyle. It was a mistake for me to use that word in the discussion as an attachment to a descriptor of sexuality and we received two pieces of just really lovely and genuine um, correspondence. So I just wanted to firstly unreservedly apologise for my incorrect use of language and say that I'm really sorry for any distress that I caused anyone that was listening if it was jolting to you because it is loaded language. After receiving that feedback, I did two things. The first thing was I apologised to the people personally and the secondly... Well, I fought the urge to hide under my bed and rock in a corner because it was my, the absolute opposite of my intention in that discussion was to cause any harm or hurt. So what I actually did was I went and did some research and I found a really great resource on the GLAD website, which is org, And they have this great reference guide and great resources there to just clarify language for people like me who um, I don't live in that space so it was good for me to go there and i just wanted to dip my hat to our listeners for for giving me the opportunity to get it right and i just i mean you know it's it's awkward to have to do an apology but i think we live by a mantra that we will listen and that we will learn and that's my listen and learning for this
4: week and we found a new website a great website that we can reference Yeah, so good
2: yeah lucy you saw an article this week
4: Yes, I saw an article. It was brought to my attention
3: via a tweet from cricketer Rachel Haynes. It was an article in The Weekend Australian um, called The MVPs. And the premise of this article was looking at the athletes talking about if we've got a big pile of money, who deserves to be paid the most. So on the front page of this article, it lists Australia's most valuable players. So just have a listen to this list. So there's Steve Smith. Buddy Franklin, Jonathan Thurston, Tim Cale, Nick Kyrios, Michael Hooper, Kyle Chalmers. And I know what you're all thinking, there's one spot left. Surely it's going to be a woman. It's Winx. So it's a female horse. Oh, so, not that oh, again. Oh, <laughs> so, oh No. In, uh, Four <laughs> legs oh. good, two legs bad. Yeah. It's reminiscent of when the Daily Te- Telegraph named Black Caviar as Sportswoman of the Year ahead of an actual sportswoman in um, 2012. That was Sally Pearson. But so in looking at this article, what they were looking at was who deserves to be Australia's top paid athlete. And in order to do that, they ranked Australia's athletes, and this is in their own words, in importance and prominence. And this is, I'm going to quote from their criteria, They said, trying to understand the overall importance of an athlete by capturing and evaluating his or her performance, their sport, their contribution to the nation's self-esteem, their rating as a role model, and their value to the community. So, Where's Erin Phillips then? Well, this is the thing. So there were some women that made it into their top fives, Sam Stozer and Ash Barty for tennis, Charlotte Kaslick for rugby union. In the Olympic Sally Pearson and the Campbell sisters, who were put in together, and Sharni Layton in their others category. Um, if we go by their criteria, though, you're right, Em, there's a whole bunch of people who are missing. So, look, we know that the love of sport crosses gender and that women can love and be inspired by men's sports and vice versa. But if you're going to talk about the nation's self-esteem, role models, value to the community, they've completely missed their own mark. Like they've missed the mark. Are you saying Nick Kyrgios doesn't like He's the top model. of those
5: boxes? Mm.
3: I'm saying that I guess I'm left with the impression of just how blinkered mainstream media and mainstream sports media can be. Um, I don't know how you can list any and I'm not even going to go down the path of trying to list all of the the female athletes that could have been part mm. of this. But you mentioned it. How could you leave off Erin Phillips?
2: Well, just AFLW. You're talking about something that's actually yep. inspired yep. a nation and changed, and you Absolutely. know, culturally had a significant, like quantifiable measuring, yeah, like exactly, an actual impact.
3: I and also, to... you know, how could you leave off someone like Elise Perry who mm-hmm. has yeah. represented the
4: country in two sports? It's, I, I'm I'm gobsmacked by it. What's interesting too is that issue of prominence. It's self-perpetuating. I mean, mm. it, of course there are a lot of male sportsmen who have more prominence because they're constantly given more prominence. Yep. Mm. It's, um, you know, how do you break that cycle? Yeah. And I guess look, like my this.
3: takeaway from it is that for sports fans, you can follow mainstream sports media and you'll get part of the story. But I think... My takeaway is let's follow other forms of media. People like Change Her Game, people like Women in Sport on Twitter and you're going to get the other side of the story.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. Were you guys following the story this week? We finished the podcast last week and then there was a tweet from Robbo which um, sparked a a huge chat this week about depression and about the way that that's being handled around footy. Um, I had some issues with, I mean, Robbo tweeted something and then he deleted it and we need to have another set of rules for what that the implication of that is that that, because that says to me he deleted it because he wasn't happy with it Um, and he's really copped it obviously and his language went wanting as well, I suppose. But um, what was a lovely reaction or action as a result of that was that a lot of players came out and have actually told their own personal stories and told really interesting and varied stories around mental health and football and I thought that was interesting. Did you read those articles this week?
5: Yeah, I, I mean, I was reading I was reading the articles thinking these are extraordinary, and then I was making that critical area of then reading the comments and going, oh, people just don't get it. You know, the number of people who would write under, you know, Patrick Dangerfield wrote an amazing article, and he doesn't suffer from depression, but he talked about how he had moments of self-doubt and it was difficult, and and he actually took it upon himself to contact the Players Association. He got in touch with some mental health professionals and worked his way through what he needed to work through. And then you go to the comment section and comment after comment's like, Wow, well, if I got paid that much I wouldn't have anything to be depressed about and but <laughs> you you just know, think how lady pads. That's how what I does But does the community like, have to go still to understand that you know, could we just relabel could we relabel depression diabetes and or, you know, give it an, an, an actual medical disease name that people relate to and understand that you don't actually have a choice can about we, these
4: things. Can we rename keyboard warriors keyboard cowards? Because oh, it's idea. so appalling how easily people just throw those comments out there and clearly don't aren't thinking anything through.
3: But I think that's partly the problem with um, Robbo is that for then a journalist to say something like that, it kind of gives tacit approval to the people who think, oh, you can just have a whack. Yeah. And and Robbo does have a whack quite a lot at people on various issues. And I haven't really heard him go back and really show that he's taken on board the feedback and that he's changed going forward, that he's, that he's learning
0: was well, a fundam- fundamental misunderstanding of what depression is, isn't it? Just mm-hmm. that, uh, just because you're you suffer from depression, that you then can't go and train or are
5: completely out of action. But I mean, it, it, I mean, even more than that, if you if you take it back a step from take the depression out of it, and just take the fact that he's meant to be a football journalist. Well, the actual announcement said, Alex Fazolo will still be training. Um, mm. He will still yeah. be attending the club and he he just won't play. So, so he, didn't me, <laughs> he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so,
3: mm. I think the thing that was interesting for me coming out of those articles, and there was a few of them, I think Brendan Favola came out, Chris Judd, um, I think it was Hamish Hartlett that talked about how he's given up Twitter and he made a, an interesting point about how we think about the issues of drugs, alcohol, gambling, but often those different areas have their root back in mental health and the impression I've been left with after reading all of these articles this week is that it's it's really tough it's a tough space to be in and social media really amplifies that and for some people it makes it for some people, social media is very, very difficult to stay away from and there's a, a feedback loop in that, that if, if you are prone to anxiety or depression, it can really exacerbate it and it's great that we're having this discussion. I liked hearing that the AFLPA has um, resources for players. I'd be interested to know if those resources extend to female footballers as well because they're going to be exposed to the same kinds of pressures on social media going forward and, and they're going to need the same resources. But mm. I'm, I'm really buoyed by the fact that we're having this discussion and actually thinking about players as well as fully formed, rounded humans the way that the rest of us
4: are. Yeah, I hope that they also extend the AFL PA to development and reserves players because those young guys have a different kind of pressure. I mean, there's early career injuries, there's career ending injuries before it's even started. They have to move from interstate and just kind of being thrown into this fairly crazy world of AFL. uh, They don't have the income necessarily or the resources to deal with any fallout in mental health issues. So this is a really big space, a big question, and it needs to be considered in terms of the entire kind of holistic approach to footballers as human beings, as you say? One thing that
2: I took a lot of heart from is obviously these footballers, and some of them are just post-career, Chris Judd, obviously, and and Favola as well, but that these boys and these men who are writing about it and talking about it, they have had the benefit of growing up in a system which has looked at mental health and has looked at a holistic approach to the health of footballers and the well-being, and that they're speaking out and that they'll be the next generation that goes into those media roles. And mm. I think I was looking at the media landscape um, for footy media and people who were commentating on it um who commentate in a general sense are people who played when it was really it was hard game be a hard man harden up
4: don't, don't talk, talk about your feelings
2: game. so for them to be commenting on these yeah. kinds of social issues i think is probably quite a great challenge for them too so i think the positive side is that the next generation of media people will have the benefit of what the afls offered 10
0: years is even a long time. There's players that came out in 2006, 2007 talking about depression and they weren't received as well as players are today. So even 10 years is a big time.
2: That's true. We received some amazing feedback this week. We love it when you guys get in contact with us because to be honest, we think it's just the six of us sitting in a room. (laughs) Um, But um, we got a beautiful letter and after a few back and forth, one of our listeners, Stephen, sent us something that was just heartbreaking but really beautiful for him to share with us and it was about depression and it was about the relationship with football and how those two things have merged. Lucy's going to read a little bit of an edited version of the letter for you now with Stephen's approval.
3: Yeah and just with a little warning that it does raise some mental health issues so if that's something you might want to take into consideration um, you can always skip forward but part of um, Stephen's letter to us said his he said my relationship with Footy is great. When the Swans moved to Sydney, it was love at first sight. It was just a whole new ball game with our own team to cheer cheer for. It's funny at the moment with many fans that have joined in the last 20 years and know nothing but success, complaining about the team's form. In the early 90s when we were lucky to win 3 spoons in a row, you could walk into the SCG and sit wherever you wanted. As you mm-hmm. girls remind us, you need long memories. I think many people have a second team. Last year was an incredibly, an incredibly emotional year for us. Our beautiful 20-year-old son Jack had suffered from mental health issues for three years and took his life in January last year. For some unknown reason, Jack always supported the Bulldogs with his room resplendent in the red, white and blue. All last year we cheered the Bulldogs for Jack, until grand final day that is. This was our first grand final and there were just too many omens. One of Jack's favourite bands was The Living End. Our daughter Hannah made a video for Jack's funeral and one of the songs we used was Vance Joy's Fire and the Flood. There were so many tears that day and none because we lost. The Bulldogs had a 19th man on the field that day and we sang their song and cheered Murph during that lap of honour for our boy that couldn't be there in person. After a good trade period, we're looking forward to the next season. In the meantime, we'll watch the Swanies slowly climb the ladder. Thanks for letting me tell my story. Thank you so much, Steve. And if you do need to, the number for Lifeline is 131114 or Beyond Blue is 1300 224636. But thank you so much, Stephen.
2: You know, there's been a huge historic moment when people do that thing and they say, where were you when you heard or do you remember where you were when you heard this news? When Tracy Gaudry was appointed to Hawthorne, making her the first full-time female CEO of an AFL club, I knew it was big because I got a text message from my ex-boyfriend who said, I've just seen a woman has been appointed as a CEO of Hawthorne. I can't imagine how you're feeling. (laughs) It was a massive day. So, Lou, can I just get a um, one, two, three from you? One, two, three. Hello, hello. Yeah, I think that's all right. And, Tracy, your um, levels were good, I think. I'll just get a count to ten or something. One, two, three. Lucy and I met her yesterday in the bowels okay, of Waverley Park. So, we hear so much, especially in the realm of women taking on new roles, that you have to see it to be it. Tracy Gaudry, you never saw it. You never saw a female CEO of an AFL club before. How did you get here? <laughs> Well, thank you, that's an that's a interesting introduction. How did I get
1: here? Um, I, I guess not relying on what I've seen in order to try or to explore or to risk or to aim. And as a, a girl and a teenager and then a young adult, people have believed in me and have encouraged me to have a go and to not necessarily follow a traditional pathway. And lo and behold, several decades later from birth to now, I'm sitting here as the first female CEO of, a, of an AFL club. But let's be frank, it, there had to be a first time at some stage, mm. and it happens to be me. It could well have been somebody else, but I've been first in a number of different female-oriented you know, firsts before. Um, It's new ground, but what a great opportunity.
2: You didn't see the job advertised in the paper, surely. How did you, did you get headhunted or did you approach the club? Did someone approach you? Uh, I was approached
1: and these types of roles, they're they're not the types of roles that you say in in five years' time I want to be the CEO of this particular organisation. So, to be honest, it's the ultimate role, isn't Mm. it? Um, And I've felt privileged for many, many years as an Australian, sport's part of our DNA, as a former elite athlete and as a woman to already being enjoying a career in sport, executive and non-executive. And as a result, they're the types of qualities and experiential elements and attributes that I bring to the table Mm. that uh, had the headhunters look at and uh, tap me on the shoulder.
3: (laughs) So you mentioned there being an elite athlete. So you're a dual Olympian, you've been to Commonwealth Games what sort of skills do you bring from being an athlete to a role like
1: this? Um, I think in any part of whether it be sport, academia, the arts, business, uh, when we look at people you know reaching the pinnacle of their profession, there's no overnight success in anyone's in anyone's end game. you know it's all part mm. of that long term journey. And one thing that being involved in sport draws out is your ability to work with others. It's your ability to look inside yourself and dig pretty deep. Um, Sport exposes individuals. You're on a competitive playing field. You can't orchestrate an outcome to be favourable to you as an individual or a team. So you deal with success and failure. You deal with having to deal with that in a public space, whether it be in front of an audience or your peers or your competitors or, you know... It, it learns. It teaches a lot of resilience, and also being an athlete is about pushing boundaries and you know stepping outside of comfort zone and your ability to not only take yourself outside of your comfort zone but bring others on that journey as well. And certainly, if you look at the the sporting career I had as, a, as an elite endurance cyclist, there's there's very little that's in comfort zone. You know, it's it's always being on the other side, and uh, that didn't teach me about my capability probably demonstrated that capability and capacity and it means coming into a a, a club like Hawthorne which is proud of its success over many many decades well there's a new world ahead of us and it's time for us to re-challenge our current paradigms look at the ingredients that have contributed to the success so far and say is it the same recipe moving forward and start Mm -hmm. to ask those difficult questions
2: when we're talking about success Obviously the ultimate success at a footy club is a premiership. But there must be other milestones along the way. What would be your measures of success that you would see at the end of your role here? That's a good question
1: and what I'm what I'm really enjoying here is at the end of the role. So being appointed is not the success story. You know, that's the start of the journey. So the outside world's our first female appointed success. Okay, let's ask again in five years time or ten years' time, then have we been successful and have we been successful? So part of that is shifting the paradigm, uh, the traditional footy paradigm that success does men grand final. Um, We've probably created a rod for our own backs. (laughs) We like that, you know, three premierships back to back and you know, making the finals again last year and playing so well, the the club and the senior leadership team and the managers, including the footy managers, have just come away from a strategic offsite where we've actually been challenging that paradigm, mm. embracing the fact that the club is bigger than its performance on ground. Clearly it's going to be, it's fundamentally important we'll be moving forward, but what is the success of the club? You know, is it the journey of the community and members? Is it the excitement of being Mm. part of the True Family Club? Is it the culture of being part of an exciting movement? You know, is it our future facility and future home? So we're redefining success literally, you know, as we speak.
3: (laughs) There are things that sport bring to the community as a whole. And I think, you know, we've all seen the Women's League this year take this country by storm. And there are so many girls who are now pulling on the boots in their local clubs. Um, we've heard that Hawthorne's going to be putting forward a submission for an AFLW license but there hasn't been a lot of talk about what the club's been doing in this space. Can you give us a bit of an idea of, of what sort of things have been going on? Yes, the club
1: has been doing a lot in this space and um, you know listeners would understand and, and know that when the, uh, when the AFL decided to launch the Women's League this year, the invitation to apply was out early last year. Um, and the club at that point just made the decision that we wouldn't apply for the first round of licenses because our strategy involved building from grassroots um, our involvement of women in sport, not our involvement with women, but our involvement of women into the sport. So we created and we've worked with Box Hill uh, to establish the first uh, Box Hill Hawks VFL women's team and we wanted to ensure that when we apply for a licence, and it's come around already now, uh, that we're ready and we're showing we're investing from the grassroots perspective. Uh, to then grow into an AFL women's team, and that's at the place that we're right now. And submissions are due uh, Friday week, uh, and you can see once we're, once we finish this podcast, we're back into the uh, the workshop and group building building our submission for AFL, which is
3: going to be very very exciting. Why do you think it's important that Hawthorne has a women's team? Why why do you what role do you think it plays for women and girls? Um, Sport is fundamental
1: for women in our society. Australia, Australia's DNA is all around sport. You know, We are sport mad and in cycling we make sure we, we have people who are stepping up to the plate and Australia is quite inclusive. When I look at the role of sport globally, it changes the game for women and girls. Sport is an enabler in our society and sport helps break down the barriers. Uh, sport also demonstrates to men that women and girls are capable. It actually puts them on an equal footing. And as a young girl and as a teenager and as an elite athlete, the best way to demonstrate your capability was to front up with the blokes and get on with it and to never use gender as uh, an excuse or a reason. So then you come back to Australia and football as our national sport it's in our bloodstream. Whether you play it, whether you whether you consume it, or whether you're a bystander, it's part of our DNA. Mm-hmm. So it's natural and well overdue. Uh, the AFL was going to embrace uh, a women's league and we should not be surprised by the success of course there was going to be the response that mm. has been received by community and then it comes back to Hawthorne, you know the largest membership of all of the football clubs great reach extremely solid community and family culture it's not only an opportunity for Hawthorne but our responsibility to bring our strength to bear to help grow grow afl womens because of
3: the strength and scale of our of our club and organisation. Talking about gender, it is important that you're the first woman to hold this role as a CEO of an AFL club Um, and I think you said in your initial press conference with those kinds of milestones comes the responsibility of being first. What do you think that role, or what does it mean to you, but then what do you think it means to society generally to see a woman in a CEO role of an AFL club?
1: There's a lot of importance and responsibility, and, and not shying away from that. If we roll back a little bit, and, and one of the earlier uh, pieces of conversation was around the recruitment process, mm-hmm. uh, and the the agency demonstrated to Hawthorne it was going to search, you know, far and wide, and with no boundaries or limitations to um, the potential mix of skills and attributes that its future CEO could bring to the table. And when it came out in the wash, and there's a selection and an, and an appointment. It so happens with all of those sport, business, management, people skills, you know, all of the skills and attributes required to be a successful CEO. The person happens to be female. Yeah. So that's what we got. Yep. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. So absolutely. then that comes. Then comes with that. It's a big job. Mm. It's a massive job. What I've learnt over the last couple of decades is the opportunity as a role model, um, the opportunity to inspire. And the, the, the most important element is the amount of support along the way and the positive will for you to be successful. Mm. Australians are really good at cutting each other off at the knees. You know, we really are. This tall poppy syndrome reigns supreme in Australia. Mm. What I'm learning is that that's not part of this conversation. You know, we're inclusive and we want to be successful in being one of the most inclusive
2: society that gives me a lot of confidence and strength it's a really good point that you make there is a lot of goodwill for you having this role people mm. are really excited and a lot of people that I spoke to that were really excited about it because you're a woman because we can't shy right. away from mm. the milestone and um, they were saying it's disappointing that she's not coming into the club when the club's having enormous success and they're in top one or two on the ladder that been nice. Yeah, yeah so I'm bringing you that <laughs> statement as a question to say what do you say to that like how do you take that on I think people are concerned that they'll go oh they tried a woman once but it didn't work because they're you know third bottom of the ladder what how do you see that it's quite funny we're all superstitious
1: as well aren't we so (laughs) the announcement on the 1st of May we ended up we won the next couple of matches after the back of a you know very poor loss and everyone's saying, oh, that's the, that's the Tracy factor. Everyone's <laughs> buoyed and happy and, OK, we'll claim that one. And then the first match after the official start date um, last weekend, uh, I think it would be fair to say wasn't the best match we've played and the first half was probably one of the probably one of the poorer first halves the team played in uh, recent times. When I was looking at the role and presenting for the role, one of the elements that I was clearly looking for is a two-way street. You know, am I right for the club? Is the club right for me? And Mm. it's got to be both ways Mm. and for me is what are the challenges that we're looking at here I've often gone into roles and mostly gone into roles where there are issues to solve for a journey that that the club organization knows it needs to go on and when I looked at the landscape for Hawthorne the first thing I asked was okay what are the issues what are the what are the problems or the challenges and I was looking for some of the challenges so that we could embark upon a journey for future success and new success now Didn't quite expect that the challenges were going to have us sitting at number 17 on the ladder, which is where we're at at this point in time. Not a nice place to be, and as an athlete you don't want to be there. And so our journey is already to to play our way back up the ladder through this season, and that's that's as much about building confidence amongst the playing team and esteem as as it is the, about the result and so i would say to the listeners and viewers you know the club knew it was going to be on a journey where after many many years of success there does need to be a time of consolidation rethinking the strategy ingredients to success today we need to rethink about that success in the future it's a competitive landscape and when you're at the top of the tree you are the target Mm. so let's embrace that and embrace the other elements of the club that will help us redefine success in the future and coming in at this point in time is a great opportunity to help work with the team to redefine its future success. Good answer. (laughs) Do I get a tick for that one? Yeah you do.
2: (laughs) Thank you to Tracy Gaudry and to Hawthorne for making her available to us. It was her first sit-down interview in Melbourne and obviously it was a great pleasure for us to be out at Waverley. Um We want to say thank you to you all for getting on board with these silly videos that we're putting out there. (laughs) The last one we put out was about uh, footballers' hair, Mm. which seems really frivolous, but turns out, I mean, it really was the zeitgeist. I mean, we're tapping into the zeitgeist of what people are thinking when they're watching the football. Um, I'm going with uh, Marcus Bontempelli today. Oh, very nice. When I walked in, the first thing Emma said to me was, did you cut your own fringe? (laughs) (laughs) Speaking
5: of hair. So I don't know. I've got some shaggy thing going on. I think it's the Dyson Heppel look I've got going on today, but I I have loved watching people come back on, on the social um, sites and telling us what
3: their favourite hairstyle is. I got a reverse Chris Linkford You do. I'm going to say I've got. I'm rocking a Catherine Smith, and that was one of my favourite lines of last year. That in a sea of top knots, she's a lone low pony.
4: (laughs) She is. I've got some Tin Tin going on. (laughs) (laughs) One of the best footballers of all all time. time.
2: I would love it to see if any of our listeners have got a Vinnie Cattagio. That was, I mean, best. I mean, my microphone's got a bit of Vinnie Cattagio going on, Uh, maybe. Um, But thank you so much for your feedback. We really. Enjoy it. It's nice to look back at the nostalgia of football.
0: It is. And firstly, I just wanted to say about Lucy's article before, the MVP, I keep thinking of male... Uh, visible panty lines, <laughs> so I had that was holding on to that. Um, but I just wanted to say a little bit about nostalgia because I've met up with a lot of friends uh, in the last couple of weeks who've talked about the good old days of football, and also just sitting at a cafe uh, the other day writing, there was two men who met and they were talking about. I couldn't work it out until halfway through. They were talking about. DVD the glory days 30 years of the very best of AFL on DVD and they were talking about Richmond's back-to-back flags in 73 and 74 and uh the 90s and so forth and they said oh my god what was your perfect day and they were talking about their perfect day at at a game and they were both Collingwood supporters and they talked about day costs and I thought about my perfect day uh, of football and I'd gone to the early bird show. Do you remember oh, that? Yes. <laughs> I loved that show. Channel 10, Daryl Cotton, Marie Van Maran and Marty the Monster. Yeah. And it was about <laughs> 1987 and I was just happened to be in the audience and Marty Monster came up to me on camera, grabbed me by the neck, sort of didn't jumper punch me in the throat, but <laughs> got me by the neck and put butter in my mouth because he had a, a pancake and put butter in and then went to camera, what does this taste like? And I went... <laughs> I and knew
2: I recognised
0: you. Yes, <laughs> right? And I just thought, oh, my God, this is – life doesn't get any better
5: than being
4: assaulted by, 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 Marty, by Monster. Marty
5: Monster. I'm thinking this is the good old days before food allergy. Yes, that's <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> so my, with my maple syrup and butter, I went to Waverley and saw the Hawks uh, beat Geelong by some obscene uh, amount of uh, – Goals and just they remember were <laughs> hugging my friends and and just that feeling. So I thought about, the, you know, the good old days. And it's not just the 12 teams of the VFL or the long bombs or kicking 50-metre line, uh, you know, screamers or the streakers, male or female, or Peter Landy or Sandy Roberts. <laughs> uh, Sandy Roberts, sorry. Or mullets and uh, brawls in the second mm. quarter. You know, so many people mention brawls playing kick-to-kick at the end or running on the field. Obviously, there's been great changes with AFL. We talk about it all the time with the women's and many, many other things. Do you know, as of 1995, there's been 170 rule changes in the game's history? (laughs) Most of them this year. That's right. I mean, you've had introduction of the third field umpire, introduction of the third interchange, into of the fourth interchange player. The holding the ball law, if a player has had a priority opportunity to dispose, he must kick or handball immediately. And this one I love from SBS Comedy. Uh, the rule this year is Hawks lose eight flags among AFL changes.
5: That's... No. Oh, well, this will be one of the last pieces of work from SBS comedy too. Oh, no. They, well, no, they announced the, the oh, no. demise of it. Oh, I'm so, laughing. So, I thought you just meant no, because of the Hawthorne joke. sorry. No. Yeah, but because of that, they... Yeah, um, they, they went too far uh, then. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: and people often lament it's not like the old days. And Nick Riewoldt uh, last year wrote a piece where he talked about going with his family and that he, he had to explain some of the rules to his dad because it had changed that much in, in such a short period of time. And there was an article, remember Blue Star? Uh, Mill mm-hmm. Um he said, and I quote, we used to have a good drink on Saturday nights. We would have training on Sunday mornings and coach David Parkin would have us playing soccer or volleyball for an hour. Then we would go upstairs and have pies and a beer and we would end up staying up till around 10 o'clock. Then we would go to the Castle Hotel and there'd be hardcore group of guys who would <laughs> back it up again on a Monday night the good old days and uh, SNN slash Carlton player Justin Madden said, I had three training rules, never set a time you cannot beat, never pass up an opportunity to cut corners <laughs> and never push yourself past the point of exhaustion. And so these um, people behind me were talking about how they loved the, how the players were totally effed up after you know monday nights and uh how they celebrated and how drunk and blotto they'd get at the footy i remember friends of mine pashing at the footy you know meeting as you know late teenagers and hooking up i just wanted to know your nostalgic memories are we just remembering
2: wow.
3: oh gosh i've <laughs> never patched anyone
2: <laughs> cutting yeah. up the phone books or oh, I've doing a whole week
4: of squad. cutting up yeah. the phone books yes. to throw them in the know air. And the barbecue at Glenferry, that was a, like, a, you would go in there, it was full of cigarette smoke and barbecue smoke <laughs> in the middle of the training room in Glenferry Oval. <laughs> Do you remember Do you know when what? they used to walk around the
5: inside of the boundary holding a the woolen bl- blanket <laughs> and um, yes, with a sign up saying it was for someone's testimonial dinner and you'd yes. all chip in for, you'd you would know, try and piff 20 cents at the Yeah, 30%. everyone would throw coins <laughs> in. Like
3: Oh, yeah. So. I love the memory of coming home from, like, you've been at the football and then you come home and you'd watch the replay and they'd only have a quarter of each game and I have a very strong memory of lying on my back with my feet up on the wall next to the fire because that was where the bricks were warm and watching the replay of a quarter of the games that we didn't get to and um that was a perfect Saturday
4: I wrote a whole novel about this you've got
2: a new week. book to talk about today I feel like we should do nostalgia as one whole episode could, everyone so email us your favorite nostalgic moment we'll and call it
4: our heritage round let's do a heritage round
2: exactly perfect.
4: Nicole yeah, so Katrina Germain and Janine Dawson have released a beautiful picture book, Great Goal, Marvellous Mark, and Aussie Rules Alphabet book. And it's just lovely, total anti nostalgia, really, because all of the pictures, the characters, kids, there's boys, there's girls, there's all different diverse backgrounds. It's just a fun learning your alphabet book. But um, I'm just loving how many footy books are, be- are coming out now as a result, but also all the diversity being represented in them. It's a really nice shift. That's so good point. get out and get it.
2: Um This week, the big freeze is back on Monday. They'll be going down the slide. And I just wanted to do a big shout out to the Danaher family. You just feel like this is, a, this is such a massive effort for them to pull it together. And for everyone who's going to take the slide on, good on you. You're doing it for a great reason. I just also want to say, it turns out every time you... Reviews on iTunes, A Fairy Gets Their Wings. Yep. Oh, Oh, wow. That's That's fantastic. So Yeah. Yeah, Good Good to know. If you wouldn't mind doing that. Um, We're going to go out (laughs) today with a song for Stephen and Jack. Thank you so much for listening to us and we'll see you again next week.
3: Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. See you.